You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, we are talking to David Seiler, who is the president of Families First and has been so since January 2016. And a cool fact about this organization is that they are the oldest nonprofit human services organization in the city, in central Indiana, actually. And so, David, first, thank you for joining us. And what what does Families First do and and why? Tell us when you were founded. Give us a little history of the organization. Yeah, Chris, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, you're right. In fact, we are the oldest of our kind in the state of Indiana, founded in 1835. Wow. Just to give some of your listeners perspective, um, that's about the time that Connor Prairie takes place in. So if you've ever been there, you kind of know what life was like then. It was uh, very different than the life we know now, for sure. Of course, people were kind of almost a little more, uh, less mobile like we are now too. It wasn't quarantine exactly, but it was founded in 1835. So we've been around for over 180 years and been doing a variety of things to serve the community, just depending on the needs as they've evolved over time. It started out serving the very immediate needs of families, like if you can imagine this, bringing coal to people so they could have heat in the winter, uh, food, clothing, those kinds of uh, very basic needs. It was seen out of a concern from some of our uh, really uh, prominent citizens back in the day who really had a concern for our neighbors. So that that mission continues today that we have a concern for our neighbors who are especially struggling. So uh, today and actually over the last many decades, the primary service line that we have is to provide a variety of mental health services and primarily a focus on providing those for folks who don't have another way another means to receive those services. So folks that are that are really economically disadvantaged. We know that uh, many of us, you and I probably, if we have mental health challenges or other challenges, we, we have the resources to face those and can find those on our own. But for many people in our community, they just don't have the resources. And so uh, we have a special heart for the poor, as we like to say, and serving those who, who uh, don't have really the means. Now, David is a licensed social worker in addition to being the president of the organization and uh, has served as executive director of the Secretariat of Catholic Charities and Family Members Ministries for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Uh, So you have a a long experience with a lot of this stuff, and I want to... You know, I have some... I went to therapy, I have some personal experience, and I can tell you that from where I was at before I went to access mental health services to where I'm at now, it is a night and day change, but I'm fortunate to have a job that allowed me to afford those services. And mental health services, you tell me, you're the expert, it seems to, it seems to be a key to unlocking so many benefits uh, of in terms of just better jobs, better relationships, less domestic violence. So... What is the importance of mental health that you've seen over the course of your career in just the people that you've worked with? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. Sitting at the, really the foundation of so many other important factors in our lives is our is is, is mental health, good mental health. And when that uh, when we experience, and most of us have challenges either in our own lives and our families' lives, 
where um, that, that foundation can get shaken. And that's when we, we need to sometimes seek professional help. Um, and th those resources are, you know, scarce for some. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we like to say we're available for folks who have no other way. And so um, what, what that allows is, as you kind of alluded to, when somebody has a challenge with their mental health, they can't uh, find a job or keep a job or um, function in a school setting. You know, a lot of kids that have mental illness, mental health challenges just can't um, can't focus and, and do their schoolwork. So it obviously impacts so many things. And what we're we've been seeing over the years in the evolution of the time that I've been a social worker is is a, a greater awareness and acceptance for people um, seeking mental health counseling and support. Uh, it used to be kind of a taboo thing to think. We used to always hear people say, oh, I'm not going to see a counselor. I'm not crazy. And it has nothing to do with being crazy, but just uh, experiencing challenges that are a little bit bigger than we can handle on our own. We need sometimes somebody with a different perspective other than family and friends that have no kind of vested interest in us uh, and connection to us, but somebody who, who can guide us through the challenges. And it's, you know, people have varying levels of mental health challenges for sure. Um, the folks that we see at Families First tend to be those who've experienced pretty, pretty dramatic changes in their lives. We have we have a lot of staff who deal with domestic violence, and unfortunately, that's all too common in our community. The other one is sexual violence. Again, far, far too, too often that that's um, an experience that too many people in our community have. So we have counselors that are there to help folks recover from that trauma. Those are some of the most um, Oh, violating traumas that anybody could experience to be abused or neglected or sexually abused. So um, as I said, we, Families First is kind of there to, to meet people in some of those really, really tough challenges. The other one that is all too common, and we all have some um, somebody in our lives probably that has experienced substance abuse, and uh, whether that's alcohol or drugs, um, where we have counselors that, that help folks navigate those challenges. We don't do any inpatient work. There are those in our community who do everything we do is on an outpatient basis. And um, which leads me to, to say that in this time of quarantine, we've segued into a, a whole different way of providing services and that's doing it virtually. Something that we really didn't do at all before this, but now everything we're delivering is we're doing it virtually. We've like a lot of folks have gotten a Zoom account and all of our <laughs> counselors now have access to that and they're delivering one-on-one -on -one counseling services virtually, as well as uh, even doing group counseling, which we didn't really imagine doing, but some of our counselors are reporting that it's really effective. And for the folks that we serve who face so many other life challenges, it overcomes some of the difficulties with transportation, for instance. Many of our folks are on public uh, bus service and not having to navigate that whole system, take time off from work, they, all the added stress that that creates. So um, it's it's really been a remarkable experience, and we're finding that it's it's been very effective, very helpful. We find that people are some of our counselors are reporting that folks at home, uh, sitting in their their living room or in their bedroom or wherever they may be, are much more open and, and more um, more able to access some of the challenges that they're having and talk about those. So it's it's been interesting, and we're really hoping that even after this is over, that we can augment the face to face services for some where virtual is just a better way to make that happen. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, again, to relate my own experience, I had a telehealth session with my therapist about two weeks ago because it's just a lot of, there's a lot of challenges and I'm in a, a very comfortable situation. Um, I imagine there are a lot of people who aren't in a comfortable situation that are still struggling. What are, what are some of the common themes 
you know, without violating any HIPAA or anything, but what are some of the common themes that you're seeing from people through the last three months? Yeah, by far the greatest stress, is, as you could probably well imagine, is the financial stress for so many. We have, you know, during the best of times, we're serving folks that are on the margins economically and, you know, maybe a paycheck or two from eviction or a loss of job um, can mean just devastation. So folks that we serve have certainly lost their jobs, and many of them, great numbers. And um, the financial challenges that presents are just uh, overwhelming for some. So that that stress is um, really, really challenging. We were, we actually staff and, and take care of the, the Indianapolis crisis and suicide hotline. And it's something I certainly want your listeners to be aware of, that there is that resource if you feel completely alone and don't have anybody you think you can call, you always have the access to that line. And um, a, a, either a uh, staff member or a tr- very highly trained volunteer will answer that call. And so to help people kind of navigate those challenging feelings, there's there's just a, a, a sense of hopelessness for some. Um, if you've lost your job, if you don't see it coming back, or you're in an industry that's, that's just uh, really suffering, especially the hospitality restaurant industry, those kinds of folks are really challenged and feeling a bit hopeless. So that, that can leave people feeling kind of at the end of the rope and where they, um, we've obviously had, had, a, had an increase in people uh, contemplating suicide. And that's, that's certainly a huge, huge concern. I just want folks out there that are listening to know that you don't, um, you, you don't have to navigate this alone. And I, I don't know if you want to, if you'll be able to list those phone numbers. We also Absolutely. answer via text. So I want to make sure people have those resources available. To we them. will put those on our website now, here, this indie.com. If you know the phone number, please feel free to share. Yeah, the local number, if you're calling from Central Indiana, is 317-251-7575 or 800-273-8255. And as I mentioned, too, we also, for some folks, they don't even want to talk to anybody. They're, they, they just prefer to text, and certainly younger people are taking advantage of text. So they can just type, text the letter CSIS, C-S-I-S to this number, 839 839- 863 and somebody will reply via text if you want to just communicate that way that's perfectly fine if you want to then turn it into a phone call you can also do that as well have you seen uh, what what order of magnitude and increase if at all have you seen over the the course of the pandemic an increase of 300 percent. wow okay so i think sometimes a barrier to calling a hotline like that is not knowing what they're going to get when they dial the number so if i were to call that number What's the process? Who answers the phone? How does it work? Yeah, good question. You know, you'll likely hear music as you wait, and typically our, we're pretty proud that our wait time isn't very long, but then somebody will just answer and let them, they'll, they'll give you their name and ask, who am I talking to? You have the right to tell them your name or make up a name. It doesn't matter. They can't see you. So um, then, it, then it just becomes an opportunity for, for the counselor, the person calling or a person answering just to listen to you. And that's really what they're really uh, trained to do is listen. And as they kind of uncover what, what you're facing, then, then help you to um, make some decisions as far as perhaps some next steps. Who could you reach out to? What are the resources in your community? If somebody's just struggling with a financial challenges, as I mentioned, is so popular or common right now, um, our, our, our folks can point you to resources. There's so much more available than most people realize. It's just, there's no reason for somebody to suffer um, in this community. There's, there's a soup kitchen, a, a shelter open, you know, anywhere, any time of the day. Um, they, they just sometimes need to know about those resources. 
Yeah, and there is absolutely no shame in asking for help when you need it. No, not at all, for sure. So what are some other things that you, you've you talked about telehealth, you've talked about the hotline, you've talked about therapy. In, in terms of connecting services, what other sort of wraparound services do you have in terms of you, you talk to somebody in those situations or you have clients? What sort of support do you have at that next step in helping people get to where they need to go? Well, we do provide uh, in some of our programs, people can continue on in, in support groups. So we have groups and some of some of those are even run by uh, volunteers who have graduated from those programs. They can continue to receive that support because what we find if somebody has been, for instance, in a uh, uh, in a substance abusing, abusing lifestyle that once they get into recovery, for instance, they go back um, to their normal day-to-day routine, hang around the same people they always did. And it's, it's really easy to fall back into that lifestyle. So we try to help them replace that with some positive folks. And so there's support groups for folks um, to get involved in that, that kind of a, a peer support group, if you will. And of course, we know of AA and NA and some of those resources, and we were very aware of what those opportunities are in the community, too. So we always encourage people to stay connected to the positive people in their life in some way, and we help provide some of those for them. We're talking to David Seiler, who is the president of Families First here in Indianapolis. Their website is familiesfirstindiana.org. My name is Chris Spengel. You're listening to Now Hear This. Uh, In terms of those support groups, are you doing those online as well right now? How are you managing that? Yep, we sure are. We're providing those online. Yeah, which which is, it's remarkable. And thank goodness that even folks who struggle economically typically have a smartphone and that enables them then to connect virtually if if, uh, they want to be seen and do that. If you don't, you can just certainly do that uh, via standard telephone call. So another service that uh, I see listed here is parenting education. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important and what you do in terms of educating parents? Yeah, so critical. We, we, we tend to think that you just kind of have a baby, you know how to parent. and <laughs> It just doesn't work that way. We A lot of folks have had very poor parenting as examples growing up in abusive or neglectful or, or, or homes that are challenged by um, really poor parenting. So uh, we, we know that that's a, that's a need in the community. So we provide uh, you know, out in the community, we go to community centers, YMCA's, you name it, schools, and kind of teach uh, parenting. And, and it's really remarkable how many people realize, oh, that's how parenting is supposed to go. And, oh, you're not, you're not supposed to hit your kids. I mean, things that most of us would take for granted, a lot of folks don't know. And what, what's kind of, we try to normalize what, what good parenting should look like and feel like. And so, we provide that out in the community. We have classes here at our, uh, well, we used to on site um, provide that, but I think we're doing some of those online too as parenting classes for folks who want to participate in that. And that's, again, it's something that somebody, nobody you mentioned not being ashamed to ask for help. You shouldn't be ashamed to ask for help to be a parent. I've, I've parented five kids and they're mostly grown now, but I still can learn a lot. So <laughs> all of us can learn something new and new tips, especially at a time like this when we're home and quarantine. I have incredible respect for those parents who are homeschooling while they're trying to do their job and manage life in a whole different environment. And um, there, we have a lot of resources on our website. You mentioned that, that folks can go there. There's lots of videos, tips, things you can do with your kids, how to manage your stress. So I hope folks, your, your listeners will go to the, the website and, and find a whole bunch of resources available to them there. Yeah. Again, that is familiesfirstindiana.org. And 
kind of on on top of that, you have a father engagement case management service. And what is that? And what do you find is important in that program? That program is is um, the, the folks that come to us through there if through the Department of Children's Services. So th- those are fathers who have, for whatever reason, have gotten uh, kind of estranged from their kids or, or some, in some cases, don't even know that they, they have a child out there. And then it's our job or the job of those case managers to first locate those fathers. Sometimes they may be in jail or prison and let them know that um, that uh, they have resources available to them to get involved in their child's life and to learn about what being a good dad is. And we have just an, some amazing success, success stories of dads who... Um, you know, just, just didn't know what being a good dad was like and feel really supported that, Hey, now I can do this. And I do want to now get involved with my child. Yeah. I think in both of those people, we often say the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but if you have no idea how to tie a set of boots, it's, it's a little bit difficult. So that's, that's great. So uh, what kind of volunteer structure do you have? Do you, do you accept volunteers? Is it all full-time staff if people wanted to get involved, what are some ways that they could? Yeah, great question. During usual times, we use quite a few volunteers. Right now, we're a little bit challenged to even keep the volunteers that we have going because a lot of it is face-to-face. But I I hope folks will visit the website and and kind of learn about what those volunteer opportunities are. But we have folks that are part of our sexual response um, team, so they'll actually be trained and go to a hospital when somebody shows up as a victim of sexual violence so um, that you can be there and just kind of hold a hand and be an advocate for that person who's going through that trauma. We have folks who volunteer on the crisis and suicide hotline. We, we always need more volunteers for that. Um, and with some of those peer support groups I mentioned, we have folks who help facilitate those groups. And so for all the things, we have great training. We have a volunteer coordinator, actually two of them who do volu- kind of work with our volunteers to get them trained so they feel that they're, they can be effective in whatever role. So uh, we have lots of volunteer opportunities. As I said, right now, it's just a little bit challenging, but soon we'll hopefully be back to where we, we need many more again. So uh, talking a little bit more about how people can support your work, uh, can you tell us about Wishful Wednesday on your social media? If you want to go follow, follow uh, them uh, at familiesfirstindiana.org. What is Wishful Wednesday? Yeah, each Wednesday we gather a list of things that our clients need uh, or the agency needs. For instance, we put out recently, we need some thermometers. So when we come back, we'll be able to do that kind of testing when folks come in our facility. We had one donated just today, so I'm happy that it's working. But uh, we put out pleas for PPE that we're going to need when we come back. And so, uh, but if our sometimes from time to time, a client may need, um, you know, some kind of furniture or something for their children for school, a backpack. We put those needs up there and invite the community to respond. And it's uh, it's just we're always amazed at the generosity that's out there. Speaking of generosity, I know that uh, usually cash donations or financial gifts of some sort are the most important in terms of operating any nonprofit. Can you talk about some fundraising strategies? How can people give if they want to? Yeah, there's lots of ways. We, we invite people to do their own fundraisers online, which has become a great popular thing among young people and kind of get that uh, support from their friends and family. Uh, as you said, there, there's nothing like uh, just good old hard cash for an organization <laughs> because then we can we can spend it and use it in the way that's most needed because it, it changes from day, day to day. You know, we, we're, we've had to spend 
oh gosh, probably twenty twenty five thousand dollars just on IT equipment to get us us up to running to doing virtual. We've gotten some support from the community, so it allows us to adapt to some of the changes. So that's always always best. Well, that's very, very good. So again, their website is familiesfirstindiana.org if you would like to get involved. I, I end with this question of everyone because you're in the day-to-day of it. You're you're in your field constantly, but the rest of us are kind of living our lives and we're in our own fields. So what is the thing that you see on a daily basis that you think, man, I wish everybody knew what I see here. I wish everybody could understand this thing about my work. What is that? Probably more than anything, it's that help is available. Um, you know, there, we all know a story of somebody who's attempted suicide or actually succeeded in taking their own life. And, and it always gives me incredible pause, as I'm sure all, it does everybody to think if they only knew that this number was available, if, if they only knew this resource was out there. So that's that's probably it. You know, you know no matter what challenge you're facing, the, the community cares, whether you believe it or not. There's, there are folks like us out here who care and want to get you connected and get you the help you need. David Seiler, president of Families First, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on, listen on our website via nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. If you want to sound smarter when talking with your friends, our mission at the We Are Libertarians podcast network is to inform you about the world in an independent and irreverent way. We take current events way more seriously than we take ourselves. We help listeners understand current events to empower you to improve your life while liberating your community. And in the process, we are building relationships that keep each of us sane. With a group of co-hosts from across the political spectrum, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties. We give you the tools to think differently in a world where there is more than just Team Red and Team Blue. So download all of our shows on any podcast app by searching for We Are Libertarians and check out my show, The Chris Spangle Show.